second episode of the weekly watch list another pop culture podcast brought to you as always by our wonderful partners at mga traffic your one-stop shop for traffic transport and waste i'm sean peter and i'm joined as is becoming customary by my co-host will peters william hello hello sean is that where we're gonna leave it that's it we're done <sighs> yeah you're gonna give me more than that how you been? What have you been up to? You're going to tell me what you've been watching. That's the point. Well, that's, I'm not going to wreck it all now. I'll get into it and then we'll, you know, divulge and explain and plug and review. You seem to know more about this concept than I do. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, we'll just back over the concept quickly, given it's our second outing. Uh, it's inspired by acclaimed director Steven Soderbergh's year-end watch list, uh, which he publishes at the end of each year having maintained a daily diary of every piece of media he consumed. We do the same, but we do it week to week, then pick our faves, our standouts and whatnot, and chat about them. Very simple, very straightforward. We don't need to dwell on that. Um, Do you want to lead us off this week? Sure. I had uh, had the new ball last week. We'll mix it up. We'll give it to you. You can have it. I will kick it off. So this, uh, my first one was watched the morning after our first podcast. So I started fresh. So we recorded on a Thursday, watched this Friday morning. Lucky enough to start quite late on a Friday at work. So I'm able to basically wake up, see my girlfriend off and then uh, have about three hours to myself. So decided to watch a movie called King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Oh, is that the Guy Ritchie one? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. I'm I'm, Um, I'm, mate, I'm jazzed. I'm so jazzed. I'm so looking forward to what you've got to say (laughs) about this. So... Going into it, I was like, sick. I love any sort of like warry slash medieval, just like fighting film. Um, and obviously Legend of the Sword being Excalibur. Mm-hmm. That is uh, the core. That is the titular sword. So first off, have you seen it, Sean? Mate, I have seen this movie. I am a massive Guy Ritchie mark. And I don't want to steal your thunder, but I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling a bit jazz. Like I'm feeling some good energy <laughs> in the room at the moment because I get the feeling like the people who like this movie is about to double. <laughs> so, at first... That pause is disconcerting. That was a long pause. I, well, I had to think back of my initial reaction when I watched it. So, my first like half an hour, I, was, I wasn't too... I've watched little bits and pieces like... Uh, BBC released that series Merlin mm-hmm. ages ago so I had a little bit of an inkling about the whole King Arthur story and the start of it when they start with young Arthur and he's in like a brothel and um, not as a customer mind just as a young man <laughs> no he's, he's he's a newborn in a brothel it was a different time <laughs> um, and I was kind of unsure of who his father was fighting mm-hmm. then I kind of it all comes to fruition and I understand what's going on. They do the reveal. Yeah. Um, so then now once King, once Arthur is old um, and he has his little gang and I like the comical. Uh, so Guy Ritchie. Yeah. The back and forth. Exactly. And it's, they make, I, I, while I was watching it, I felt like a lot of the time it was, I had hints of that really shitty modern Robin Hood that oh, awful. Um, thing goes in. Yeah. Taron Egerton. Yeah. And Jamie Foxx. Yes, yeah. They keep Jamie remaking Fox, why, casting. why do they just let it die? Yeah. Um, but also I was like, oh, this is like a modern one. But then they have this like modern humor, much like they had in, say, Thor. Mm-hmm. of just like banter, which I'm sure it would have happened back it's then. It's whip smart. Yeah. Like, I love the bits where they're, they're going to, um, like they're roaming the streets a bit and touching base with, you know, the men on the ground sort yeah. of thing. And they're wanting to know, you know, why didn't you tell us whatever? Why didn't you tell us this? And that guy goes... He says, I don't know the line verbatim. He's like, oh, sorry, I'm just, I'm just real tired. He goes, it's <laughs> eight in the morning. 
it's the sort of stuff like that. It's really classic Guy Ritchie, man on the street, back and forth banter. Yeah. And I do think the film gets perhaps bogged down a little bit in what version of the story are we telling. Uh-huh. And we get maybe mired in a little bit of the mythology for a little bit too long. But I love enough about this film that I just don't care. <laughs> like there's enough about this movie that I just think is like the ball. The, like I just think it's the duck's nuts. Yeah, there's, there's enough a happening. point where like the, the general's, the general's like asking Arthur what's happened. He's like, oh, well, I went from this to this to this and I was pissing myself. What's the, bit where, what's the line where he says, was it such and such or this or this or this? It is like, oh, oh, I can't remember. I don't, I'm going to have to go back oh, and look at it. Hold on, I'll look it, it up. I'll try to find it. It's unbelievable. Um, a few little noted bits that I was really quite confused about is that obviously Eric Banner plays uh, his old man. father. Yep. Um, Uther. Uther. And there's little bits. There's some people in Australia that act that when they're acting in a role that isn't an Australian accent, it's like they almost got to put a little bit of like a Aussie twist on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, and I was, you know, I was convinced that he was Uther, but then there was times where he said words. I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. And then the scene where, spoiler alert, Arthur pulls out Excalibur. Um. It's like a fucking lightsaber. There's a guard there. I'm not sure. You surely would have noticed this. And so. Oh, well, yeah, it was Arthur, the worst cameo in this history of cinema. <laughs> so Arthur's, you know, for those who haven't seen it, Arthur is pushing through the crowd saying, everyone get out of the way. This is my sword. I'm going to pull it out. He's getting up there, realizes the sword's got a little bit of power in it, and then a guard who's played by David Beckham, it's, who has this modern, not good. this modern short back and sides with like a little quiff haircut, all like, he's like right, yeah, yeah, it's he's awful. so out of place. I'm like, why? How much would have he? Did do you reckon he paid to be in that? I don't know. He's just good mates with Guy Ritchie, right? And look, I'm a big Manchester United fan. I of love course. David Beckham. Yeah. But, it doesn't belong in films. And I love so much about this movie. I'm even kind of willing to forgive. It's almost so bad it's good. His cameo, it's so awful. But I love the idea too that... Is there like two ands, yeah, ten digits? It's, it's like, like, what? You feel like... I felt like uh, Charlie Hunnam was going to turn to camera and go, is that the best take we've got? Yeah. Is that the best take? I don't know. And then the last thing that I was really like, I don't know about this, was obviously when Arthur understands the power of the sword and he's using it calls to to him exactly when he's basically wiping out a mini army all of a sudden he turns into quicksilver and everything's in slow-mo and he's bloody running around it's a stylistic choice it's a stylistic choice yeah i would have preferred him just like beast up and just like maybe like grow a little bit and just be this like huge giant that just like slays everyone you know what i like too like it's such a well-worn story like the king art the arthurian legend yeah. and this is a bit like a batman begins like arthur begins yes. you know we, we get the round table at the end yeah. and um the knights of the round table are there guinevere's not in this one merlin's uh-huh. not really well merlin's not in this one yeah so there are elements where they were going to make more unfortunately it didn't do well enough for them to make more yeah but there are elements of this story that i love so much just the idea that it's such a simple, well-told fable with a really modern spin on it. Like watching it, I found myself thinking, in retrospect now that you bring it up at least, that the last, like the new Star Wars films, just just rip off King Arthur. Like yeah. the idea that you got this lightsaber. I was like, oh, it's Excalibur. The idea is that it's it's that's the totem that calls mm-hmm. to he who is worthy. and. Yeah. He who is worthy carries the, or in this case, she who is worthy carries the sword, and that's yep. 
the barometer of good and bad and whatnot. And you're like, oh, it's a cool sort of concept because it is such a powerful notion that no one else can extract the sword from the stone. Only he who's worthy can do it. And here comes Arthur who doesn't really know who he is or where he's from or what he's capable of and pulls the sword from the stone and there's something more for him that he's intended for that he is capable of doing. And Throws it's, it away, gets pulled back in by Lady of the Lake. Lady of the Lake. Which seems to be like a puddle in like a forest. Yes. But somehow it's still it the becomes lake. Becomes a very deep lake. Yes. Like an ocean. Did you notice that the woman who played Guinevere in BBC Merlin mm. was also a wife or a girlfriend or at some point of someone in that movie. Was she? Yes. I, I was sitting that. there going, holy chick, this, this woman is going to play the same character in like different series. They did that with the guy who, um, the Australian guy, I can't remember his name, who played Charles Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He also played Charles Manson in something else. Ooh. Just independent of one another, yeah, yeah, yeah. two separate casting directors thought you're a dirty hippie, yeah, and you were perfect to play this murderous cult leader. I did, I did like the actor who played Arthur, Charlie, Charlie Hunnam, of course, uh, Green Street, Sons of Anarchy. Well, I, I, pref- I prefer to recognise his Green Street hooligans role. True, um, but I think I could, I could honestly see. I feel like he's a, he's a. He's a B-Tech Tom Hardy for me. You know what he is? I feel really bad for him because... But like a good B-Tech Tom Hardy. He has he has his niche. Yep. Like even, did you see The Gentleman? Yes. Love The Gentleman. And he's yes. obviously in Guy Ritchie again. Yep. And Charlie Hunnam is one of the co-leads, you know, second or third build mm-hmm. um, in that. And when he finds his niche, when he finds his groove, he's really good value. I don't know if he's a leading man. They've kind of no. tried to make him a leading man a few different times, and it's like he's probably just short. I feel like he needs a movie, though. He needs a movie that like sets oh, him up. No, absolutely. He needs like a role that you a just go, that's him. Yeah. That's the guy. That's his role. That's his character. But he just hasn't quite landed that. Like he yeah. was in Pacific Rim. You know, he was the, the main guy in Pacific Rim. And it was. And I think, unfortunately, Tom Hardy is filling that role. Oh, yeah. So and when until Tom Hardy starts becoming the grandfather or the father in movies, then well, we'll get to that later. Like, zing. Well, that's it. I, I, look, I'm so I'm to be honest with you. I'm jazzed. You brought up King Arthur: Legend of the Sword because didn't see it coming. And no. secondly, I, I feel like I'm the last man on earth. I'm the only person who likes that movie. I Even Guy it. Ritchie's my, like. My eh. final opinion is I didn't mind it. And That's I, good enough for me. I'll take I'm, it. The great thing about this podcast is that I'm now going into my Netflix and basically just putting my list, my list, my list. I'm like, I'd love to watch that. And there's some good stuff coming out on Netflix at the moment. Well, we'll get to that soon as well. You've mm-hmm. actually inadvertently teed up a few of mine. Look, I said, oh, I love that. I reckon it's a great start. My uh, pleasure. My first call or pick of the week is a film called The Call of the Wild. You may know this as the film with Harrison Ford and a dog. You would have seen the ads, I'm sure. Probably. Um, effectively, what, what year did this come out? This year. Oh right, okay. It's it's been a weird year. We'll yeah. just you know, we'll give that a pass. <laughs> um, basically, adaptation of Jack London, uh, the man, not the clothes brand. His novel he wrote in 1903, and it's just like a um, a bit of a rite of passage novel about a dog who goes from owner to owner, and it's the world in his life through his eyes, and yep. he encounters. You know, some hardship, but along the way, yeah. this dog, you know, learns 
about family and bravery and and all these really sort of admirable traits. And um, I mean, over time, Harrison Ford plays the the human lead in this film. Clark Gable's played it. Rutger Hauer's played it. Um, Charlton Heston has played that role. So this is a film or a book, I should say, that's been adapted like half a dozen times. Been major sort of studio films and telly movies yep. and the like. I think what I really enjoyed about it, it's such a simple movie. Mm. Goes for like a hundred minutes. It's just such a like a, a watchable midday movie type Saturday matinee, yep. like an old style family film. Looks fantastic. Like looks, it's got this really cool like postcard sort of vibe about it. Um, it's shot brilliantly. Costs like a hundred and twenty five million dollars to make, which, to be fair, I think a fair amount of that would have gone to old mate Harrison. Just to get him to be in the movie, $121 million. Um, yeah, $124 million. Um, it's, I don't know, there's something about it. I was sitting there watching it going, this doesn't make any year end top tens no. or, you know, no award contentions or whatever. But just a good film. It's just a good, harmless, fun family movie. Yeah. Um, with a dog, the dog CGI, so it goes between looking like really quite good photorealistic yeah. to a bit sort of um, Scooby Dooish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's very, it's very like rubbery at times <laughs> and, and very comical. Yeah. Um, but look, just a story about a rambunctious, free spirited pooch who finds his place in the world. Like that's the crux of the whole story. Right. I and think I definitely. Yeah. Now that you're saying that, I think I definitely have seen, you know, trailers or clips for it somewhere does ring a bell very much you know in the spirit of those human dog team-up movies we all love like turner and hooch or uh is that one with um old mate that died eight below or something wow yeah that is he does a bit of sled dogging in this film too actually <laughs> um that's part of the whole process but yeah paul walk paul walker paul that walker. was uh eight below whew. if any if every jeff if yeah i can't speak if every generation doesn't have some sort of husky sled movie they're missing out they, they haven't lived Got white fang a little bit <laughs> earlier, but no, like I think it's it's funny you say that because like I remember being little and there was Beethoven, yeah, and then they made a few of those, and then, um, but in family films in general, it can sometimes be very much of their era, like a The Indian in the Cupboards, a really good sort of family movie, but I can easily see this film becoming something that you know kids three, four, five, six, seven who might watch it now, yep. sort of have an attachment to. Mm. They sort of see it as this formative fun movie that they watched because it's they younger. pretty accessible. There's some darker little moments here and there in the film, but nothing so dark that you're like, Kids probably wouldn't don't watch on. it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think there was something about it as well that I liked that like Harrison Ford, everyone loves Harrison Ford, mm. but Harrison Ford doesn't seem like being like, doesn't seem to like being Harrison Ford. Everyone wants, every time there's Harrison Ford movie, even though he's 77 years old, everyone's kind of like, Oh, okay. What is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Who's it? Oh, is he? I want to see a trailer or the like. Because he's still, for me, he's like the last, the last holdover of like golden era Hollywood. Yeah, definitely. Is Harrison Ford. There's some modern movie stars. Of the males. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Meryl Streep's in that, exactly, in that vein yeah. as well. But there's some modern movie stars who are, you know, DiCaprio yep. and, um, I've drawn a blank on the other really obvious one. Um, Pitt a little bit, not so much, but a couple of years ago, like, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But there's a couple of those guys who are absolute mega stars. Mm-hmm. But Harrison Ford is like, he's the last surviving, still going, still working sort of mega star from this yeah. golden era, this tail end of Hollywood. Yeah. And to that end, 
Did you ever see the movie Morning Glory that he did? It's like 10 years old now. It's about? It's about the morning show, the morning TV show. No. Rachel McAdams, this isn't one of my picks, but for context, Rachel McAdams plays a morning show producer who gets bored on board this failing, fledgling, floundering morning show. I think I have. And the network that she works at is like, this show's nowhere, it's going nowhere, it's dead in the water, we're going to take it off the air, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Harrison Ford is like the elder statesman news anchor mm-hmm. at that network who's had some quarrels with management and he's not on the air anymore. And Rachel McAdams basically gets him to be on the show contractually. He has to be on the show. If he's not, he gets fired, he doesn't get paid, blah, 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 blah. Yep. And you sort of like, as the concept, immediately my mind goes, okay, so he'll start out as a crotchety, you know, I'm too good for this. Mm-hmm. And then he'll start turning things around and the show will turn around and he'll lighten up and loosen up and he'll yeah. become the fun Harrison Ford we all love and want to see. No, he's a crotchety old prick <laughs> for 98% of the movie. And you're sort of like, there's literally like a five minute scene at the end where he lightens up and he's the Harrison Ford we all want to see. Mm. And he, this is a bit like that in, in, in Call of the Wild. You see little glimpses of him and you're like, there you are. There's the guy we everyone loves. Yeah, We're all like, you know, it doesn't really matter how old you are. There's been a really big Harrison Ford film and he's been a big movie star. Yep. So it's, from my point of view, I really enjoyed it. It's very watchable, easily digestible, um, very much in the vein of the old Saturday matinees yep. of years gone by. Um, and I highly recommend, particularly if there are young children, there are a couple of little segments here and there where he fights like a bad dog. Yeah. Like he's, he's basically, he's part of a, a postal sled run yep. and the lead dog is a bad egg. But the film makes a point of he's like a he's a bad egg. Dishevelled. Yeah, he's he's the wiry he's dog. the the bully dog. Yeah, and Buck stands up to him and and good fights on him. Buck. Yeah, good on your Buck. <laughs> Don't take that dog shit. Um, so Call of the Wild, thumbs up. Thumbs up. That's a good another good first one. Mm, I agree. It's not something I'd assume you would watch, but there you go. <laughs> there you go. I feel like you're a very deep sort of man, and that's far below you, but. Clearly don't know me. No, yeah, well. <laughs> so, uh, my second one is a is a music video. A music video? Yes. So, wow. this is something that came out, I'm going to say, three to four weeks ago. I've not seen a music video since um, that Childish Gambino one. This is America. Yeah. That one? That's yeah. the last music video I saw. <laughs> um, I only... I don't watch a whole lot of music videos, but I... Watch this one because of the context it was released in. So, mm. there's a rapper called Takashi Six Nine. Have you heard of this man? No. I doubt you have. So, no. well, I keep saying this. He could be made up. <laughs> this could all so be ever. Look him up while I'm talking. So you spell Takashi T E K A S H I, and it should come up with recommended. Yeah. Takashi Six Nine, American rapper. Yeah. So have a look at him. What, yeah. what are your immediate thoughts? I don't even know how to verbalize my <laughs> thoughts looking at the photo of this man. So for those who can't look up, he's basically this uh, Hispanic rapper that acts as every other sort of uh, race. I'm getting that. Yeah. That has hair the color of Skittles. So He's a facsimile of yeah. the, so the basically entire world. He was part of organized crime all throughout the last couple of years. Um, and our great friends at Vanity Fair uh, basically gave a nice little introduction of what what he'd done. So Daniel Hernandez, the individual behind Takashi Six Nine, was that uh, his real name? 
Yes, Daniel Hernandez was issued a two-year sentence for his affiliation with the Nine Trey Gangster Bloods gang. Oh, they're so hardcore. They're bad. He basically ordered hits on a bunch of people. In what this, him personally in this gang? Yeah, shit. But then in his sentence, he's gone in and basically just snitched <clears throat> on everyone. You know what they say about snitches? They get stitches. They get stitches. Um, and he's also come out after this. And he's just saying, I've got stories on Snoop Dogg. I've got stories on this guy. I've got stories on this guy. He's a marketing genius. There is not a day where he's not reported on by TMZ. Will he not just end up dead? Eventually, but he's living his life. Before he went into prison, he signed a $10 million deal for a record label. So he's come out of prison after snitching all this stuff, getting his sentence cut short. And So he's done his prison term? Done two months. What, and they let him out? Yeah. Wasn't he given two years? Yeah. Oh, he must have been very like, good. Like in America, anyone famous, remotely famous, just gets out on get, bail. Just get house arrest. So he's done that. And th- so then he, he gets... There wasn't a whole lot of publicity about him releasing music, but he mm-hmm. just releases out of nowhere. We were talking about YouTube before, how you know a ch- certain channel will get maybe yeah. one or two millions on a new video. Yep. This racked up 44 million views in a day. It's good numbers. And it's currently sitting on about 340, 350 million. Um. For his fans, his diehard fans, they would love this. Do you consider yourself to be one? I'm not a diehard fan. Okay. There's occasional songs where I'm ah, oh, this kind of bangs, but it's um, it's uh, yeah, not not his best work, but it's just classic Takashi Takashi Six Nine. Um, and for those wondering what this guy looks like, obviously I said he has kind of rainbow coloured hair. Um, he also has Sixty Nine tattooed all over his it face. Does really prominently. And there is. Yeah, in the music video, every colour that's in his hair, there's a uh, very quite naked woman, almost naked woman, shaking their body. Giant booties. Yeah. Um, and he's basically, yeah, he comes out and says, you know, all these people are mad because I'm out, but lol, I'm still making money. And uh, so, yeah. He's My second big, one um... was this music video that I watched a couple of weeks ago. Rewatched it, uh, obviously, because I wanted to talk about it. But it's... You know what he does have? He has the yeah. he has the old um, men's men's toilet urinal teeth. <laughs> but they're so white. You like yes, the classic? Uh, he's just basically drank bleach to get hidden to get them that white. He's got the big veneers. Um, but he yeah, for to his credit, he makes money off his name because he just gets himself talked about all the time and makes he just makes serious dollars for someone who probably should be dead. What's the significance of the shark? Is that his? Uh, yeah, it's not like sure. The, the finding, do he, finding Nemo. One of his things Bruce. that he did when he got out of jail was bought that, um, bought that chain, which was, I think, almost a million dollars. That's um, not a waste of money at all. Yeah, he's just as soon as he got out of jail, <laughs> buying cars, all this stuff, uh, other stuff that he couldn't really use because he's on house arrest. But um, <laughs> he's like he, all of us. Fun fact: his girlfriend is the one in the yellow. So you if go. you watch the music video, she's that. Basically, I'm, I'm assuming they're all strippers, and that is a tattoo of him. That doesn't look like him. Not really. But um, it's not a great likeness. Is no. It? So that is my. It's very un. So the video is called Gooba. Gooba. The song is called Gooba by Six Nine. Uh, and Six Nine is spelt the number six I X the number nine I N E. <laughs> so he's um. <laughs> all the, all he, the... he is a linguist. He is a wordsmith. <laughs> all the women in the. I'm probably doing him a disservice because I was yeah. obviously watching it on mute. <laughs> Although, <laughs> might have been a good decision on my part. Yeah. Um. I do like the comments here on the YouTube video. It's had 940,000 comments. 
like you said, 346 million views. Uh, there are all the women that are dancing are wearing, um, they're like the uh, colours of the rainbow. Yeah, booty shorts. Yeah, and uh, someone said, breaking news, Thanos just lost his infinity hose. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's had 7.8 thousand likes. I'm going to give that another thumbs up. I like that. Uh, but, um, <laughs> a moment of silence for all the fathers who saw their daughter in this video. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> like hell, the YouTube comments are a great place. <laughs> Genuinely so good when they're on song. So if anyone's looking into an insight about the current, unfortunately, the current hip-hop culture um, that is just, you know, booties and hoes and strippers and money, that is a good... Uh, it's a good place to start. Yeah, good look into 2020 <laughs> hip-hop. So, are you giving it a thumbs up? You sounded lukewarm on the song. I'm giving it a... Out of 10, 5. A 5? Yeah. I'm wow. On the fence. Because there's some... There's a little period in the song where I'm like, this is a banger. But then it's also like, okay, now you've said that a million times. I'm kind of over it. Why don't we tease out? Tease it out. Tease yeah. it out. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it time. Okay. All right. I'll give it time to grow on me. So, Takashi, 6'9". Takashi, you... Whatever. I yeah. oh, mate, genuinely, you're lucky I even remembered that <laughs> <laughs> from when you, when you first mentioned it. I was polite enough to even attempt to yeah. say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Are you done with Takashi? I am done. That's, Is it Takeshi yeah. or Takashi? Takashi. Takashi. Okay. That, yeah. The A, you've got to emphasize the A, mm. not the E. Mm-hmm. I'll remember that. The next time he comes up in conversation. I doubt he'll ever come up in conversation again. Unless, unless he dies. If he dies, oh, you'll, be, you'll yeah. be the first to know on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Given what you've told me about him snitching and whatnot. It is only a matter of time before, before he, he has dies. an accident. Holding, yeah. Holding like wads of cash with a chain in, with like diamonds in his mouth. And go, I lived a good life. The and booty boom. hose everywhere. Yeah. Yep. See you later, Takashi. Or <laughs> See Daniel, you later, mate. Daniel Hernandez. <laughs> Uh, my second pick for yep. this week. I reckon you might have watched this. Maybe. Maybe. Oh. You'll know within moments. Uh-huh. The King of Staten Island. Not yet. Okay. I didn't know it was out. There you go. I only knew it was out because um, I, I like keeping an eye on what Judd, Judd Apatow does. Yep, obviously, it's his, his new film. And there was a obviously a review about it. And, and with COVID still having the cinemas shut down, Um you sort of do keep an eye out for films getting released on streaming mm-hmm. um, when they've got a bit of cachet behind them. Um, obviously, Pete Davidson of SNL and once dated and engaged to Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande, yeah. Yeah. Who could have possibly imagined that wouldn't uh, end well? Who could have possibly seen that coming, Will? Yeah. Well, I mean, she did She did date Mac Miller, which is also a weird pairing, who is a rapper. Mm. Quite a you know cool kind of skatey dude rapper when you look at Ariana Grande, who's just like... All about tight ponytails and mm-hmm. makeup. Doesn't make sense, but... Very breathy. Continue, yeah. Very breathy. Um, so Pete Davidson stars in this. It's sort of a semi-autobiographical film for yes, people who know... Do understand the concept. Uh, ...about Pete Davidson. Mm-hmm. You know, he shares a lot of similarities with his character. His father was killed on September 11. He was a firefighter. Yep. Uh, the character has Crohn's disease, which isn't a huge part of the film, but it's no. one of those details that once it's in the movie, yep. you can't help but go... Well, you have Crohn's disease as well, mm-hmm. so that's perhaps informing a bit of your angst and your life view. Um, I don't look. It's a it's a weird film to actually <clears throat> not make sense of, but it's kind of that Apatow hybrid. Because if you think the films that he has directed, Forty Year Old Virgin, <clears throat> knocked up to sort of get him started. If you look at those films, 
yeah, they're kind of like dirty comedies, but they're both underpinned by like an incredibly subtle, powerful message, sort of um, emotional sort of humanity. Yeah. Both of them are underpinned by like good characters trying to do good, make themselves better. Yeah. And no one Does in those. Did he do Bad Neighbors? Is that his? No, that's. No. I think that was Nicholas Stoller, who's right. in the same kind of class. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's an interesting. He's an interesting filmmaker because you naturally associate his films of that era with, yeah, like swearing and yeah. vulgarity and <clears throat> and whatnot. But at the same time, no one in those films is an asshole. No. Like the main characters, mm. they're all pretty real. And and in Staten Island, King of Staten Island is a really good example of the sort of slice of life filmmaker that he is yeah i think that he obviously took the success of 40 year old virgin knocked up which is an evolution of the style and then he went and did funny people which <clears throat> it's not a bad movie Was it adam sandler, adam sandler? Oh, i fucking hate that movie yeah i get why i don't hate it but at the same time i'm like this is too long but where they just have like the random cuts of adam sandler having sex yeah. yeah yeah so weird that's strange you were Billy Madison, man. You were Happy Gilmore. Yeah. We don't need to see this. I don't want to see this. Yeah. But it was a good example of a guy. It was basically just um, Great Gatsby as well. Like, mm. you watch the film and you're like, it's just the fucking Great Gatsby. Yeah. This whole thing. <laughs> this movie. Is anyone and you kind of, I looked it up and it was like, everyone was making the comparison. I was like, yeah. thank you. Um, but then he does This Is 40, which is a quasi sequel to Knocked Up. Mm-hmm. And they're dealing with more adult themes and belonging and can people change and is that change worthwhile? And, and Staten Island is very much like that. This young guy sort of doesn't know where he's going. He's a nice enough guy, but he's... Correct me if I'm wrong. It's basically a, like a half biopic of, of if Pete didn't become a comedian. Sort of. Yeah. 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 So what he's looking for with his no parental, no father figure... Um, his oldest, younger sister goes away to college. Younger sister's played by Judd Apatow's daughter, Maud, who's been mm. in quite a few of his films. Yep. And she's actually like, it's funny when you you watch her and you go, oh, she was in Knocked Up and whatnot. And you're like, this is 12 years later. Yeah. And you're like, oh, she's actually gotten, like she's quite good in this, yeah. in her little role. Um, so she was obviously interested in acting. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's not that it's natural to her, but she's quite good at it. And effectively, he's sort of left there going, where am I going? What am I doing? He wants to be a tattoo artist, yeah. but he's shit. Where does he get that opportunity? What's next for him? And he ends up finding sort of comfort and solace and direction in the last place he would imagine, even though that, that eventual reveal is, is very telegraphed. Yeah. You're kind of waiting for that moment to come. There is a degree of satisfaction from the audience that he's not a bad person. He's been dealt a bad hand mm-hmm. in certain aspects of his life, and he's sort of trying to come to terms with it. Um, I enjoyed the film and I do think it's a worthwhile watch. The only thing I will say is when the film ends, you're sort of left happy, yeah. but by the same token, you're like, where's the next, we need to see more of this. Yeah, yeah. You've promised the change. The character has embraced the change. He's on the right track. And then it kind of just ends with the promise of that rather than 10 or 15 more minutes of it. Does it we, almost feel like a bit like a reality it. type thing? Not like so much. No, not not so much. But another it's, episode or something. Or? It just feels as though I don't know. I'd feel like Judd Apatow at times. Bit rich coming from me, who <laughs> needs to edit these podcasts down. But I feel like sometimes 
the the run times of his films balloon. Yeah. And like a film like Funny People, for instance, is too long. So I should probably finish it. However, it at the same time, I think he just needs an editor to, to be sometimes to just be ruthless. Yeah. And to be like, either the film needs to be 20 minutes shorter mm-hmm. or you need to move a few things around and reshape the story so that the audience, the last 10 minutes of the film could be the best 10 minutes of the film. Mm. But as it is, it just, it ends. And you go, I'm happy where we're leaving the character. Yeah. But I would have liked to have seen another little bit of how it pans out, how those relationships develop. So I, I just, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's sort of an emotionally confusing film in that way. Because mm. you're satisfied with it, but then you're kind of frustrated a little bit. But What's it on? Netflix. Right. So The King of Staten Island, it debuted on... Is it Australian Netflix or are you VPN-y? Uh, I prefer not to say. Um, <laughs> I, I Alleg- imagine, allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Uh, I would. Uh, I assume it's out there if people want to watch it. Um, <laughs> by means legal or otherwise. But uh, yeah, so it'll, it'll be interesting. It's sort of a funny one because it's not... It's not like your typical Hollywood film. It is like those Apatow films a bit meandering at times yeah, 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 yeah. where you're sort of slice of life, like I said, going from set up to set up that isn't necessarily meant to um, shake you or shock you or whatever, yep. but just keep building a bit of character, a bit of narrative yep. and the like. So, look, I would say, particularly if you're a Judd Apatow fan, you'd be more than aware of this film as is and you might have already watched it. Uh, if you're a Pete Davidson fan, the same thing. But it's um, it's not a bad film. It's nice. not outstanding, but um, I do find did find myself thinking as it wrapped up. Yeah, that was all right. Hmm. Nice one. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, if, I mean, if I hadn't have watched some of the things I watched this week, I probably would have found a way to watch that. But um, I think you should. Yeah, check it out. I if will. you can, I probably should have prefaced it by saying, I don't know if you can watch it. I will legally check it out. <laughs> I'll check it out by the, all the appropriate channels. <laughs> uh, so number three for me is something that was very shocking, eye-opening. Oh, no. Uh, 60 minutes branch stacking in the Labor Party. No, that was shocking. Though. <laughs> that was shocking. Um, so another Netflix series, limited series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. Wow. Yeah, dark stuff. That shit Dark stuff. was crazy. Did you see it got reposted yesterday? It's funny you mention it. The Ricky Gervais Golden Globes monologue. No. Where um I mean I've seen them, but I It was from earlier in the year yeah. and someone reposted it yesterday, right. so it's funny you bring it up because he had the the fantastic joke sitting in front of or standing in front of Hollywood Elite when he said, um, he's in a film called Afterlife about a guy that tries to kill himself, blah blah blah, blah and the joke goes but obviously there's a second season, so he doesn't kill himself, just like Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everyone's sort of like, there's a bit of a, oh, a bit of a murmuring. And he goes, he goes, he's your friend. <laughs> yeah. No, that does come back now. That's hilarious. Yes. Absolutely. One of, the, one of the best, like one of the best award show barbs of like, all time. Because there's probably a bunch of old dudes and they're like, oh. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was honestly, I kind of, new bits and pieces about Epstein because when the whole meme of Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself came up, I was like, okay, I don't really know who this guy is. Hadn't really looked into it much. Um, so coming into it, I knew a little bit more. I was watching it with Maddie over the last couple of nights. How many episodes? Four. Four episodes, 50 minutes. Yep. Um, and yeah, it's just like from the outset, this guy is a fucking weirdo. And his wife, Gillian Maxwell, 
wife, girlfriend, she's all fine with it. And basically, like, she... Is she, like, turning a blind eye? Not even. Or, oh, like, wow. she maybe turned a blind eye when she left Jeffrey with these masseuses that were under the age of 18. But... I believe they're called masseurs. Yeah, them too. Uh, but she basically, <laughs> like, she would help get these young underage women mm. in. And it's there's this whole ring of... And, like... There's this grooming ring. Prince Andrew. Yeah. Uh, Woody Allen. Oh. Like, there's a stage where they go to this, where they go to his island. and Jeffrey on, Epstein's island. On the plane. Yeah, he Shit. owns an island. He owned Orange. an island. Past tense. Uh, there's Bill Clinton. Oh, no. I did not have sexual relations oh, with that dear. woman. You did, Bill. Or girl. Uh, oh. Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker? Yeah. Rush hour. Yep. Oh, yikes. Uh, and... Uh, Bill Clinton, Chris Tucker, and Kevin Spacey. Oh. So Kevin Spacey, I was like, oh, oh no, <laughs> oh. this is not good. <laughs> and then there's an episode of like half about Weinstein and just all these people that are related to him. And it's just, honestly, it's, he's bought his, he bought his way out of so much. And then Acosta, the yeah. guy <clears throat> in the States with Trump and then Trump's best friends with him. And then all of a sudden, when he starts going to jail, then everyone that's slightly associated with, oh, no. got to take care of this guy. Haven't really talked to him in a while, you know. Jeffrey Epstein? Yeah, I don't know Ep- a Jeffrey Ep- Epstein. Is that again? Because <laughs> here's a photo of you and him going, no, he's just, no. Yeah, he's just a giant sociopath. What was extraordinary, like this whole, what this whole thing uncovered and what what was so good about Ricky Gervais and, and those those sort of jokes that he told was that, when the, when the Weinstein thing broke and yeah. everything, it's the worst kept secret in like the yeah. world. Yeah, like there was all those stories that came out. Um, Seth MacFarlane, like ten or fifteen years earlier, had made the joke about Kevin Spacey. Yeah, and you're like everyone. It's everyone knew. So this pious nonsense that oh it's a shock and this things need to change. It's like yeah. you're all complicit in it. And then, like Acosta made this speech about oh you know it's really good that. Um, you know, the FBI is looking into it and they're going to sentence him, blah, blah. And then it cuts to one of the victims saying, no, one of the lawyers of the victims saying, so he's basically sitting there going, I'm glad someone else is doing my job better than me when I was in that position. <laughs> it's like, what? And then he just gets like a free hand into the Trump administration. Yeah. And there's this scene of where he's getting, he's getting sworn in and his wife's there like stiff as a pole, pearls on, yep. looking nice. And his two children are there looking like they're a part of a cult. <laughs> they're there with the same bowl cuts and like Trump like pats one on the back. And it's like, ah. <laughs> it's just like you all, are, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's so crazy. The, the web of just lies. Lies and money and oh. corruption. And that's why, why should anyone be surprised? Because no one is, no one, everyone, when this stuff comes out, everyone just goes, well, of course, Hollywood's, it's crooked and it's, it's you, you, uh, sex and, and mm. whatnot is, and you look at even guys like Kevin Spacey, Alec will say, alleged yeah. at this stage, but involved in all these awful, like, grooming rings. Yeah. With and, big, big, oh. big name Hollywood figures. And then when... He's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, exactly. And when that BBC interview came out with Prince Andrew, Ugh. at one point he goes, oh, I've never... Been inside Gillian Maxwell's. There was a photo of you leaving the house, home. wasn't there? She goes, I've never been inside Gillian Ma- Maxwell's home or upstairs for that fact. And then it cuts to a scene going to one of the survivors saying, How did you know that was upstairs at Gillian Maxwell's? I and guess. There's a picture of him with this young woman. 
and Glenn's in the background going, yeah, and then bang, she goes and gets raped. It's like, how? Why? It's awful. Like, even without wanting to go too far off track, I just had to look it up because I forget his name. But you, you, the Harvey Weinstein thing is proof positive for me that they're all complicit in it yeah. and they're all prepared to cover for him and whatnot whilst he was of use. Yes. Not not whilst he was lording things over them, not whilst he could no. hurt them because he had he didn't give a shit. No. Like he didn't care. His actions, he showed that he didn't give a shit. Yeah. And he was so unaware. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he was like... In, in, in essence, he actually had so much confidence. He just didn't give a shit. Do what you want. I'm going to do what I want. I don't really care what you think about it. And whatever you do to me, I'll just pay my way out of it. But whatever you do, like, I don't, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. So he, um, whilst he was of use to Hollywood, they protected him. Mm-hmm. They covered for him. They didn't out him. But as soon as someone comes out, as soon as that veneer is broken, they turn on him like you wouldn't believe. Like, the example is... The director of um, Parasite, you know, the film won Best Picture and he mm-hmm. won Best Director at the Oscars this year, uh, Bong Joon-ho. Of course. He, of course. Very, very well known, um, obviously, director in the East and had cut his teeth making you know, what we call foreign language films. Yeah. For him, it was obviously native language. Yeah. Um, Korean. He, his first Hollywood film, his first Western film was a film called Snowpiercer, right. which starred uh, Chris my, Evans. My sister... And Dad just watched that. So the movie or the TV show? I think they started with the movie and then yeah. went on to the TV show. So the movie itself, Snowpiercer, starred Chris Evans. Um, quite a good film. Basically class sort of battle aboard a, the, 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 the Earth is uninhabitable sort of thing and this train's travelling around the Earth and uh-huh. um, rich and poor are on this train. It's about you know disrupting that societal system. Pretty good movie. Pretty mm-hmm. good film. Mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein, the producer of it, effectively um, mothballed it, delayed it, wanted to re-edit it, wanted to recut it. Um, The director resisted, refused, and the film was buried. Shocking release date, shocking um, publicity. We've spent money on it, so we'll release it, but fuck you. Yeah. Because you didn't acquiesce to me. Uh So... Consider my shock when Parasite, which is a, like Parasite, is a good movie. Yeah. But this is how Hollywood works. So Harvey Weinstein gets his comeuppance, goes away, and all of a sudden, who's one of the first people that Hollywood makes amends to? Bung Jun Ho. The Ho. The Ho Man. Yeah. Come back. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Oscars, we'll give you awards. We'll make it all better because they all knew you've been shafted. Yeah. This guy fucked. He fucked you. He shafted that movie, he buried it, he buried you, he made you, blacklisted you in Hollywood. Yeah. So he's gone now, so we're sorry. And for the commoner, the, the commoner, which isn't us, oh, I um, they really had would have had no idea about that. I know that for a fact people like, Parrot, what, who, what, mm. Where, where's this, what? Like, yeah, people like, best picture. Exactly. Why? Oh, okay. How? It's not in English. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that. I always laugh about that. You're like, well... It doesn't matter. It can still be a good movie. And it's a good film. Yeah. But a lot of people were kind of like, best picture? Mm-hmm. Okay. Huh. But it's a good example. That Epstein, that whole situation is just, the stinkier it gets, it's like no one's surprised. Oh. It's like, when, where will this stop? Where can it stop? Yeah. And like, just even the way he was killed, like there's, oh yeah, he hung himself. But then they get 
someone to look at the body and like his bones and stuff. He's yeah, like a coroner. He had <laughs> he had like a broken bone, which is broken when someone is strangled, and it's like. How much more can this guy get away with when he's fucking dead? It's the old thing in prison, Will. You know the whole thing? I slipped. I fell. I fell. You were clearly stabbed. Fell on a knife I fell. I wasn't meant to have. That's my fault. It's my fault. (laughs) But that's how it works. And and yeah, it'll just go away. Like who is he paid off inside that prison? And the the thing is, like you think about it, him being dead and the questions it raises, which can never really be answered. Hmm. it's, It's like... Who shot JFK? Why'd they shoot JFK? Yeah. Like the, the uh, urban legends and the, you know, the conspiracy theories are so plentiful. Who did it? How they did it? Why they did it? When people don't You can't know. answer it. Yeah. And no one will ever know. Other than maybe one or two people. The people that did it, the people that organized it. But getting to that is almost impossible. Yeah. So their attitude is, we just fucking kill him. Like yeah. all that stuff doesn't matter. They can talk about it. They can speculate it forever. Uh-huh. But he's gone. And then he can't out us. Yeah. Oh, it's dirty, dirty stuff. Disgusting. So thumbs up? Thumbs up. In terms of a watch, mm-hmm. it was... I'm going to use this. I think this might be my staple word oh, no. for this series. Gripping. 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 You did use that last week. Yeah. Sitting there going, this is insane. Did and you find yourself, though... Sometimes I, I, it's hard. Like when you watch shows like that... Sometimes it's hard to consume something that's like so outrageous that, yeah. you, that you're not that you're getting angry or you're getting fucking like annoyed. And like watching, I was also I was so I was watching it with Maddie, mm-hmm. my girlfriend, and I was like like watching. I think watching it by myself, I may have been a bit more comfortable, but watching it with a female, I was like every like twenty minutes, I was just like checking. She was like all right, and just in case she didn't want to watch it anymore, was she white knuckling the side of the couch, like, and like this <laughs> anger. This is like, this is what women have to live through. It's fucking crazy. And especially, especially in that world. Yeah. Especially in that world. Like people always laugh that Tom Cruise keeps getting older, but his wives stay the same age. <laughs> like in the movies. Yeah. You know, he's a 55 year old man. He's with some like. He's with like a late 20s. 28 year old. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, but that would never be reversed. Exactly. You would never have. I don't know who's like the really like a Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would never be with Richard Gere. You'd be like, what the fuck's up with that? It's <laughs> weird what? casting. Well, okay. Yeah, I like Richard Gere. He's <laughs> all right, but like, it's a bit weird. Um, yeah. yeah, it's that weird sort of thing. Even actually, Hobbs and Shaw did that. Hobbs and Shaw. Have you seen that? <laughs> yeah, it's such a fucking but weird movie. It's a weird film, but I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's just so crazy. It kind of works. Yeah. yeah. Until they get to Samoa, and then it gets. <laughs> and they just start. The film. Yeah, we shut all the weapons off. You're like, what? For it's like it's like they went into the production meeting going, we want to use clubs and batons at some point in the movie. We can't use guns. We can't so have we people getting shot. We want to get that PG-13. That allows them to not use the guns. We can't have people die. <laughs> but you had like the brother who's never seen this extraordinarily high-tech device just yeah. rebuilds it by looking at it. Exactly. Oh, he's a good mechanic. so he should He's be a great able- mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the point I was trying to make was you had the, the lady who was, I can never remember her name. I'm shocking. The, the main woman who played Jason Statham's sister. sister. She was really good. Well, she was in Mission Impossible 6 as well. Yeah, and yes. She was really good. And she was in The Crown as well. And there's like a 25-year age difference between them. Yeah. But we're coded through the consumption of media that we kind of yeah. don't really... We might tweak to it that... Yeah. She's Jason Statham. He'd be like 20 years older than her. Mm. 
But but then when they do the flashback, yeah, like, and he's sort of like part of you sitting there going, yeah, he's really old. Yeah, I think Statham's probably getting to the end of his young leading action man hero days, so they've probably got in in the last six months. It's of him not being, so. It's not like he still looks in really good shape. Yeah, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, he's comfortably twenty years older than she is. And the film's positing to us that they're brother and sister and they're sort of the same age. But yeah, I don't know if I could watch this doco just because I reckon I'd get annoyed. And that's such a bad, like, cop out thing to say. Yeah. But you just, I just find myself sitting there going, this is bullshit. Mm. And you go, and it's just like winding you up. Yeah. So very, uh, I was going to say outstanding, but it's not outstanding. It's like just very. Compelling. I, yeah, compelling, eye-opening documentary that's like, damn, well, this world is fucked. It's an important story to tell as well. Because... Uh-huh. needs you, to be told. You can't. Yeah, exactly right. Well, from one murderous knobhead, or one guy that got murdered, I should say, Yeah. Um, I went back and rewatched. I hadn't watched this film for a really, really long time, and I don't know what drove me to <laughs> seek this film out. I hadn't seen it in years and years and years. So I Married an Axe Murderer. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Mike Myers um, made In Between Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. <laughs> right. Yep. So it's, what, it's, what genre is this? Well, this is the funny thing about it because you see it and yes, it is a comedy, but right. it's not really – what I love about it or what I appreciate about it is you watch it now and it's sort of the – it's really the only Mike Myers vehicle – Mike Myers has been in films where he's been a normal character or played a normal character, yeah. but as far as Mike Myers – starring vehicles this is like the only movie that he's done where he's just it's not a gimmick yeah he's not wayne campbell he's not austin powers you know or fat bastard or dr evil he's not the love guru he's not cat in a hat or whatever he's just sort of like a a bit of an avatar of himself right and it's a really straight up and down performance he's almost like the straight man in this movie in a weird way Mm. so the basic concept is it's a it's a whodunit mashed up with a romantic comedy. So his character Charlie is a commitment phobe. He he doesn't like commitment. He always finds something wrong with the women he's dating, so he can break up with them. Yeah. Um, he meets and falls in love with Nancy Travis's character, right. who, by exposure to happenstance and a tabloid article, begins to think maybe she's this mysterious Mrs. X who marries and then murders her husband on the wedding night. Yep. So the idea is Simon Aaron, an axe murderer. He starts to sort of think there are too many pieces of the puzzle here matching. Is this woman yeah. the murderer from this shocking news of the world style tabloid that his mother's reading? Yeah. Um, and it's just a really light sort of silly, high concept, not quite comedy. There's funny stuff right. in it, but it's not like Wayne's World, Austin yeah, Powers yeah, yeah. and those sort of films. Um it's a, it's a, I, like I've said, I haven't watched it for so long and you watch it again. Did it just you, like pop into your head? I haven't seen it in a while. You I've mentioned Wayne's it. World in passing last week. Right. About if they made a sequel. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I was like, oh, totally, yeah. Like I love Wayne's World. Yeah. Love, love the Play two films. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> game on. on. Um, and I was sort of like, oh, yeah, Wayne's World. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, so I married an axe murderer. So the first Wayne's World was 92. Yep. So I married an axe murderer was 93. Mm-hmm. And Wayne's World 2 was 93. Right. So... It's just a weird film for Mike Myers, like I said, because it's it's kind of like the only film he's done, which is just him. Yeah. He's not playing this big, stupid, colourful, larger-than-life character or, mm. you know, caricature of something. But Anthony LaPaglia's in it. 
Wow. Obviously, early 90s, he's got like the most early 90s goatee you've ever seen. <laughs> he plays his friend, who's also a police detective, yeah. who initially kind of fobs off his concerns. You've got to be kidding me. No, nah, it's not her. And then as the film kind of reaches a bit of a climax, begins to go, no, it is her. You know, it's yeah. her. And he's trying to rush to save him and blah, blah, blah. The kid who played Lester Averman in The Mighty Ducks <laughs> yeah. plays Mike Myers' brother, I assume. He's basically just a sight gag. Right. Mike Myers plays his own father, and that's sort of where he first did the Scottish accent. Okay. So the idea is they go to his mum and dad's house, he's playing the dad, and he keeps, like, taking the piss out of this young kid who you're like, well, he must be his son. Yeah. But this kid's, like, 12. <laughs> like, Mike Myers is, like, 28. Yeah. So it's a little bit like what we were talking about with um, Hobbs and Shaw. You're kind of like, these ages aren't really marrying up. Yeah. But, but it's a funny gag. It's, it's okay, f- I'll watch it, yeah. It's a funny bit. Uh-huh. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 a curious film. Like I say, you watch it and you kind of you pause to think. Like I found myself at parts of this movie being considering how much money would Mike Myers be worth <laughs> between Austin Powers and Shrek. Oh. Like how much money would this guy? This is why we don't see him very much anymore because no. he doesn't need to do anything. Exactly, he pops up in small roles in Inglorious Bastards yeah. or Bohemian Rhapsody. Was he in that one which just has like all the action heroes? What's that called? The Expendables. Expendables. Did, I feel like he was in that. I've got to admit, I've only ever seen the first one. <sighs> and I was like, ugh, this is... I think I saw number three and it's just like, like you know, like Morgan Freeman will turn up. It's like, what? Like, what? It's just like old movie stars just turn up for the sake of it. Like Charlton Heston in Wayne's World 2. Yeah. But this is funny, actually. It's funny you mention that because So I Married an Axe Murderer has got some like what effectively amount to cameos. Yeah. Charles Grodin, who's a famous American comedian. Uh-huh. He was in Beethoven. He was yep. the dad yeah. in Beethoven, which we spoke about earlier. He has like a walk-on role as this motorist who Anthony LaPaglia tries to commandeer his car. And he's like, really, he goes, can you can you please, can I commandeer your car? And he's like, no. <laughs> he goes, can you, can you just drive me somewhere? And he's like really straight-faced. And then no. he, they get to this, you know, the, the climactic, the finale. Yeah. They get there and Lopali goes, look, can you just wait here? Because if I have to arrest someone, yeah. goes, I'm going to need a ride. And he goes, no. Nah. And he just shrugs <laughs> off. That's quite funny. But the star of the show for me is Alan Arkin. Yeah. And I'd completely forgotten Alan Arkin was in this movie. Yeah. And when he pops up, for those of you who know Alan Arkin, you know what I'm talking about. You would know him as the guy from Argo, Argo Fuck Yourself. Mm-hmm. This guy is just the ultimate pro. Every time he walks on screen, doesn't matter what the film is, doesn't matter what the role is, flawless, knocks it out of the park. <laughs> and here he plays Anthony LaPaglia's police captain. Right. But in a really delightful like twist, LaPaglia's like, I thought that you know, it'd be like Serpico and it'd be you know, like getting into the bust-ups and it's just a lot of paperwork. <laughs> and, and Alan Arkin plays against type. LaPaglia's like, I want you to be a hard-ass, like chew me out in front of the bullpen. And he goes, he's just a really nice guy. <laughs> Alan Arkin's like, well, you know, I, you know, I don't have to do that because you know, don't have to do that. And, it's, and then there's a bit later on where he starts because he's a nice guy. He starts yeah. playing it up, so he walks in and he's like, "If you do this one more time, blah blah." blah. And the scene sort of unfolds. <laughs> it's quite funny. And then at the end, he goes, "Did you like that? Was that, <laughs> was, was that good? I thought I went a bit far." And Lapali is like, "No, no, it was great. It was, you know, maybe went a bit far on the ethnic slurs, but, but, it's, but it's it's this really funny like subversion of, of of the way that relationship works in cinema, yeah, which which I really enjoyed. And it's funny. Lastly, on this film, 
that that relationship is in this movie. Have you seen The Last Action Hero? Schwarzenegger, oh. and he like lampoons himself. He lampoons the action film. I that, feel like I have. That was released in 93 and was like, it was released 20 years too early for one. We can yeah. talk about that another time. But that film spoofs the relationship. You know, Arnold goes to see his police chief and his police chief is this larger than life caricature of what a police chief is yeah, in movies. Yeah, yeah. And it was funny that these two films made in the same year are making the same joke. Yeah. And they're just as funny as each other, mm. but they're complete opposites. Yeah. It's quite funny. But So I Married an Axe Murderer is a bit of an off-Broadway Mike Myers one now. People yeah. of a certain age would have know the film, like the film. Uh-huh. But it's... um. I haven't been blown away by anything I've watched this week, yeah. but it was fun to revisit it and sort of go, yeah, 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 it's enough about it's good. Mm. Mm. Nice. Um, and like that, we're on to our fourth. Done. Uh, so my fourth was something that we got brought up last week. Um, bit of a staple. Oh, no. In, I'm worried. I guess you could say Australian television over the last 20 years. Blue Healers. No. Stingers? <laughs> no. Uh, water rats? No. What was that one with Gary Sweet? <sighs> Shit, that was on the ABC. What was that called? Sea Change. Gary Sweet was probably in Sea Change. Um, <laughs> Round the Twist. <laughs> fuck, love Round the Twist. Have you ever? Ever felt like this? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> Big Brother. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I want it on record before you start. Yep. I like Big Brother. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like the concept. Yep. yep. I'm not down on the concept like everyone else. Yeah. Just take it away for a while. Uh-huh. Bring it back. Yep. But Will, if you're going to do it, fucking do it right. Legit. Continue. I, like you, I love Big Brother. I love Big Brother for what it is. In 2013, I think it was, I actually tried out for oh, Big no. Brother. Oh, did you have like an interview? I got to the second round. <sighs> so I got to, I went through like the first where you do like a group thing. Got to the second round and then never got a call back. Dicks. Dicks. Um, but they've, what they've essentially done is make Survivor in a home. That's stupid. Because I can understand why they've done it because of the circumstances. There's COVID. It's a bit hard. But I think next season they have to make it audience driven. The whole point is you watch because you're in control. They're literally doing Survivor. Like there is, they're copying Survivor challenges and putting it in. And, you know, you've got someone with immunity <sighs> and then they... Not so much. They're putting people up for elimination, and it's you know it's got your classic group of hotties, yeah, yeah. group of kind of normal lefties. It's like and that, then, like that scene from Mean Girls when they're going through the cafeteria. Yeah, couple gay people sprinkled in there. Yeah, um, someone really good at cooking, a mother, an older woman. Um, it's quite diverse, to be honest. And they've, I, I think they've actually, for what they had to do to bring it back. Much to my, I before it started, I was like, "What the hell is this?" Do you reckon they've? So you reckon they've got the casting right? I think they've done it quite well this yeah. year because previously it's just full of like fifteen hot people. Mm. Whereas, which I loved when I was it's great when I was Big Brother seven, up late sixteen, seventeen. Oh yeah, Big Brother adults Ooh, only. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for you know the old esteemed man that I am now, mm. I actually don't mind it. Um, there's this. There's a few funny characters on there. One being, obviously, ex-Gold Coast and Carlton player, Daniel Gorringe. The Orange. Funny story. I had a uni assignment and I, had to, I was, did a little podcast, 20 minutes, 
and I had to, uh, my thing was sport, just mm-hmm. like general, I think, I think it was more AFL and I wanted to interview current player and then ex-player. Tried to get onto a few people, uh, interviewed Harry Morrison from Hawthorne uh, for being a okay. current player. And then uh, I managed to get onto Gorringe to do one as an ex-player. It was probably a year or two after he was delisted. Basically, all up until me actually doing the interview, he's like, yep, yep, let's go, let's go. Got to the park outside of his house and he says, sorry, stuck at work, going to have to reschedule. I can see you. He never <laughs> oh, rescheduled no. and I never did the podcast. So, leave me, suffice to say, he does not have your vote. His <laughs> no. big brother. And there is, he's got commitment issues because he pulled out from my podcast. That I was does he have do. commitment issues on the show? I don't know. Because you'd be sitting there going, called it, because I know this. Um, this so, might be news to all of you. It's not news to me. And this is just before he like kind of semi-blew up on Melbourne Instagram. That would have been good for your followers. Oh, I would have I would have just bang, bang. I would have yeah. just boomed. Anyway, Oof. Big Brother. It's different, but it's still. I think it's still good. It's got what people are wanting to watch You're for. making excuses, Will. The problem with the show is this. Please. They shouldn't... The idea of the being in the house... I haven't watched any of it because I'm just so against the concept. You said you would. I did say that, but I lied. I actually don't. When's it on? Um, I think tonight. I think Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays. Okay. Maybe Wednesdays. So this is the problem I have with the show. Mm-hmm. When you make it Survivor in the house, yeah. you're taking away the core element. The core element is the housemates aren't in control at all. Yeah. So the idea of making alliances and being strategic to survive doesn't yeah. matter. Exactly. Because you've got no control. You're completely at the mercy of the people watching, and that's why the people watch. Yeah. Like, that's the whole point. Whereas people were strategic from, like, day two. It's like, ugh. <clears throat> Whereas when you take that element out, you're just like, as silly as it sounds, for those who like the show, you go, I'm not part of the show. Yeah. So, for me, it's a fail. It's a big, fat fail. And I refuse to watch it. I refuse to, you know, they've probably got, I don't know. Links, body spray, sponsoring the program, or yeah, I th- uh, yeah, they just I think they definitely noodles. have to bring back audience participation into it. Doesn't have to be live audience; just at least get people to text their votes in. Man, that that's first what makes season. it spicy. Because then, if there's someone that's always up for elimination, you know you hate it, so you're going to try to change it to be better for the. And as well, you could old seasons. You never used to be able to see the cameraman. Last night, I reckon I saw a cameraman at least four four times through the glass. They have it's like they have sliding doors and they just open the glass. It's um, it's ridiculous. It's the whole concept is gone. So it's like, you're meant to forget you're being filmed when you're in there. They, should, they were just like looking at the cameraman while they're doing it and like making eye contact <laughs> with the camera. It's like what is this? That's breaking the fourth wall. Like occasionally on the past season of Survivor, David Gannat did that. Did you watch Survivor? No. Oh, I fucking loved it. So the you tried last- out for Survivor, didn't you? Or apply for survival. Got halfway and just yeah, yeah. Oh, through the application. As in, like, yeah, the online application. Oh. I just, I like, kind of, feel, I went to go do something. <laughs> never did. Just never, never went back to it. it. Um, but uh, yeah, I occasionally when they kind of cheekily look at the camera, it was funny on Survivor because obviously there's only people there. Whereas yeah. you meant to fi- the whole thing about Big Brother is you meant to forget, and they didn't. Yeah, you meant to. The whole idea is yeah, totally. The the people in the house. Yeah have to get to a point where as silly as their situation is they yeah they forget that what they're doing yeah and they act naturally and 
they think embrace. They bump, need to bump up the episodes as well. More content. I feel like they only had like something went maybe hour and a half last night. They probably had a good twenty five minutes before the challenge and elimination started. I was like, well, chuck it on ten peach. <sighs> yeah. Or ten bold. I don't know. I don't know. It's just it could be so much better. It's all right. It's watchable, but it could be so much better. I agree. As far as classic reality TV goes. I agree. That's why um, I've refused to watch it. I think that is all my notes. <laughs> Smooth. Yeah. Seamless. Yeah, that's it. Um, <clears throat> I like it. Big brother, you've been... Okay. Well, yeah. look, I, I will try. I will endeavor to give it a look at some Please point. Please do. Please um, do. I can't promise you anything. Yeah. <clears throat> My final pick for this week, I, I'd uh, been tracking this one for a little while, just more out of curiosity, because whilst in the past I have been known as somewhat of a cynic, <laughs> I have I have tried to uh, open, my, open, my, <laughs> open my eyes and broaden my horizons um, and just be more positive generally, which is what I've tried to be doing recently. However, <clears throat> there is certain times when a film comes along... Your phone? Yeah. When a film comes along... And it's a train wreck. Yeah. Because if you've heard it coming down the pike throughout production, it's got problems, this, yeah. that, and the other. One such film that got released got unceremoniously done. The first film of its kind from its studio, Artemis Fowl. <clears throat> got dumped onto Disney+. Plus. So it was a big budget film, big right. budget young adult novel adaptation of the Artemis Fowl book series. Google this way. Directed by Kenneth Branagh. Um, was meant to have a theatrical release in August of last year, got pushed back to May, and then with COVID no hitting, cinemas shutting, yep. um, Disney effectively looked at it and just said, we're dropping it on Disney+. Plus." So it was the first film, theatrical film, that Disney have made that they just kind of washed their hands off and said, we're not even going to put it on video on demand, we're not going to try to recoup any money, we're just dropping it onto Disney+, Plus, and that's it, that's done. What it's makes it good question? What makes it so interesting is I just love all that stuff. I love all the behind the scenes machinations of how did we end up here? How did you end up spending a hundred and twenty odd million dollars on USD. this film? And how awful that experience would be when you're sitting back, you you're rewatching the dailies, you're rewatching the rough edit of the film and you're like, Yeah. This is awful. Like this is shit. Mm. And I love trying to get myself in the head of, we spoke earlier, I was watching a video about Willy Wonka by Red Letter Media, and they made the point that this film is lightning in a bottle. No one really knew what they were making sort of thing, but it all just comes together brilliantly. The first Star Wars is a great example of a film like that, yep. where you know you're trying to make a good movie, but even those making the movie could not have bargained for what it ends up becoming. Yeah, Artemis Fowl is the example of the opposite. Where they would have been watching this going, this is shit. Mm. Going, we can't save this. This is fucking awful. Uh And it's not that it's awful. You just watch it. And to me, it's, I get that it's a kid's film made for kids. I totally get it. I am not the audience of this movie. I get that it is a kid's movie. However, that doesn't excuse this recent spate of films. There's been heaps. You would probably be more au fait with the more recent ones than me. Mm -hmm. But... Ever since Harry Potter, Harry Potter once again is lightning in a bottle. Yeah. That film comes out, that film series defies all logic, defies all common sense yeah. that they make eight movies that are all good to excellent yeah. with more or less the same cast. They have to recast Dumbledore because Richard Harris dies. book nerds that are like, 
eh, it's not the same as the even, book. But even they love it, for the most part. Yeah. Um, but it's absolutely fantastic. But ever since that film was a success, mm-hmm. you've The Maze Runner... Uh, Alex, I, loved, I loved the first one. Alex Ryder is another one. Did you ever watch Winnie the Pooh that came out like two years ago? Yeah, the animated Live one. action? Yeah, Christopher Robin. Was it Christopher Robin? That's what it was called. Yeah, you and yeah. McGregor. I, unreal. I personally loved it. In terms of like being a kid's movie and What does this have to do with young adult, adult novels? I'm just talking <laughs> in terms about kids' movies and being an adult watching it. I, I love Winnie the Pooh, like, from a youngster, yeah. a young man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked it. It's a bit like the way they were able to make it, like, a little bit, ad- like, like you look for in any kid's movie, a little bit adulty. There was a lot of, like, Ted as well in, like, the lo-fi, yeah, like, the toys, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was cool. I love Tigger, but go on. Yes. But, yeah, like, Alex Ryder, Percy yeah. Jackson, Cody Banks. Yeah. Um, Cody and then, Banks, iconic. And then Disney themselves, yeah. like, ever since... Pirates of the Caribbean kind of first wrapped up were mm-hmm. trying to rekindle what's our next thing yeah. and ultimately led to them making the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars buying Star Wars but in between that they had this run of just like wow Mars Needs Mums Sorcerer's Apprentice John Carter Tron Legacy The Lone Ranger yeah. and this is another one where it's like what are you trying to make? You're yeah, trying to make a franchise a series yeah. and that in and of itself is folly because this whole film is like a 90 minute trailer for a sequel. <laughs> and you're like, don't be so fucking bold as to assume we're going to get that far. Make yeah. a good film first. Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. Sequel potential, but it's its own standalone film. Exactly. Everything ties up. Everything, yeah. all the character arcs wrap up. If you make just one of them, it stands on its own. These films, they do what so many films these days do. Don't assume you're getting another one. Mm. Even the first Harry Potter kind of ends, and if they didn't make another one, stands on its own. Yeah, for sure. So this one here, basically, Artemis Fowl is this supposed child prodigy, master thief, um, son of an antiquities dealer, and it's actually, it's revealed his father goes missing, he's embroiled in this skirmish between mystical forces, Uh and Artemis Fowl Jr. um, starts a, a little bit of a war with some fairies, to get him back. That's basically the crux of it. That's the crux of the film. You don't know really who was taken. Artemis Fowl Sr., played by Colin Farrell. Right. I don't know what he's doing in this movie, but he on sh- that On that topic of not sure what they're doing in this movie, just looking at the cast Judy Dench. when I looked it up. Judy Dench, she's okay. She's safe. She can do anything. He's been doing a lot of shit lately. Yeah. But Josh Gad, that awful. guy... He's awful. ...needed to stay behind an animated character. He is awful. He should have never made it into, like, mainstream. Beauty and the Beast. He's, Disney uh, keep casting him. Obviously, he's Olaf. He's yeah. Frozen. Disney keep putting him in these movies. Someone at Disney... Because it's like, oh, it's the guy that played Olaf. It's the eye. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's the snowman. Someone needs... At Disney needs to go do the shit. old hand across the throat. This guy's no good. Get him. Fuck yeah. him um, Who else is in here that's a bit weird? Yeah, as... I guess, but uh, here's the point. You make a, like, I made some notes. I was thinking about it. I kept comparing it to Harry Potter, which is unfair because Harry Potter is a, a really good film series that did a lot of things right. Uh-huh. But the story, that story matured with its characters. Yeah. So it, it, it matured up so people could grow up with the character. Yeah. Whereas this character is just so unrelatable. Mm. He's pretty unlikable. The poor kid playing him has no charisma. Like, he's just not a very good actor. Right. And then as you watch the film, I found myself sitting there going, 
they've reworked this so badly. There's a lot of ADR dialogue that's kind of done off screen. Josh Gad is sort of narrating the film, giving it direction. Uh. Artemis Fowl's kind of not really in the film that much. And you go, so what Harry Potter did really brilliantly was early on, they were like, these are just kids. These are 10, 11 year old kids. We can't expect them to be, we spoke about Paul Newman last week. We can't expect them to be great actors. So what we're going to do is surround them with great actors. Oh yeah, 100%. Robbie Coltrane, Richard Harris, Maggie Smith. The list goes on. We're going to surround them with Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. A-grade actors who can carry the film. Yeah. Whereas this poor kid is sort of like just hung out to dry. And then they obviously realised, fuck, he's not very good. How do we hide that? But you yeah. can't hide it because he's the main character. and He's the title. The film is called Artemis Fowl. Yeah. It's not called Josh Gad. It's funny. It's like I watch, obviously watching Harry Potter when I was younger, all I cared about was those three young kids. But then all my mum banged on about was um, Maggie. Yeah, Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith. Yeah. She's like, oh. Oh, and then now we watch anything like they My mum and my sister are smashing Downton Abbey, and oh, this Professor McGonagall. Prof- well, that's McGonagall. it. I'm like, mum, I know that's great, but Ron Weasley. <laughs> but, and this is the funny, like that's so it's so true because it's like you think about even going back to Star Wars once again. You think about Alec Guinness and Peter Cushing hmm. were in the first one, yeah, and. They're in it to lend some legitimacy, like Judy Dench is in Artemis Fowl, Colin uh-huh. Farrell. Yeah. They're there to lend some legitimacy to the, the proceedings, yeah, yeah. which you need. But those guys, Peter Cushing was um, Professor Van Helsing yeah. in the in the old Hammer horror films and was known for that and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, and obviously Alec Guinness was a fucking like legendary actor. Mm. Bridge on the River Kwai and just... But now, people like my age, a little bit older... You see Alec Guinness and you go, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it feels so reductive to him <laughs> as an actor, given the career yeah. that he's had. You're like, ah, oh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. But you're like, no, he, he won an Oscar in, for playing very serious roles. But Artemis Fowlman is like, like I said, it's an interesting watch as a study of how did things go so wrong? Yeah. And then trying to like piece together. Justice League was like that. Trying to like piece together yeah. which part of this film is Zack Snyder's. Which part is reshot? Yeah. Artemis Fowl's like that where you're like, which bit was reshot? Which bit mm-hmm. was reworked? There's something missing there. There's a there's a scene missing. There's one character, this young girl, who's like the daughter of Artemis Fowl's butler, who turns up. And that's really all she does in the whole movie. She turns up to like help him. Right. But then they're like, fuck, well, now we've introduced her. What do we do with her now? And when they've recut the movie, they're like, oh, yeah, that girl's in this movie still, isn't she? She's still in the house. Oh Where is she? Yeah. Ah, shit. <laughs> so it's it's a really fascinating watch from that point of view. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm not I'm not like like I said, a kid would probably watch this. Yeah. Like a four, five, six year old kid. Yeah. And probably still get something out of it. They'd probably still be probably still enjoy it. But mm. just as an interesting study of a spent 125 million dollars on this film yeah. that was meant to get a cinema release that was hopefully going to launch a franchise uh-huh. gets dumped on Disney Plus. It's a disaster. Mm. And you're like, wow, it's just a, just a curious, like, curious watch. Yeah. I wonder if the, the brains of a 10-year-old times 10 million that would have watched it around the world may have made that a bit different. In- I, th- I think they probably have a sense of it's not as good That's as cool. other things I've watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that comprehension of why yeah. is probably not there. Like, they'll 
like I said, kids will probably mum and mums and dads will chuck it on Disney Plus, and kids will watch it and yeah. and go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. There's a bit where and Josh Gad's like a, he's a, a dwarf and he's like digs, mm. and when he digs, like he makes his mouth like his jaw really big, and you're like, oh yeah, okay, all right, what's happening here? And then he starts like chewing into the dirt, and I I don't know if the film is explicitly saying he farts the dirt out. Um, but that's certainly what it looked like. I couldn't be bothered interrogating. He's chewing like a hole, burrowing a hole like a gopher. Yeah. And it's like the dirt's coming out the back. He's eating it. He's not like a dog shoveling it under himself. Well, the story, Josh Gad, not needed. <sighs> yeah. Weird. Just keep him for when they do the inevitable Book of Mormon movie. Yeah. And he can be... Cunningham again exactly like he was on Broadway mm. so that's my last one Number of the week four, that was good what is your pick of the week William this my is where you... pick of the week as I open my list back up so um, of the ones we talk about we pick one that is for good bad or otherwise so what is our I'm pick of the week? gonna stick with as gripping as Filthy Rich was mm-hmm. uh, about Jeffrey Epstein I'm gonna and you're gonna love this King Arthur love it I Legend do love of the it. sword it's like yeah it was pleasant I was pleasantly surprised. How good is the scene? I love the scene where, like, we meet him and he's not the finished article. Like, he's really raw. Yeah. And then the film finds a way. I found it really satisfying to, like, jump time when he goes and does the trials. And he's, like, like, out in the wilderness and the mountain. Oh, yes. And the passage of time is meant to be, I don't even know what it's meant to be. But he comes back from those trials closer to King Arthur that we know. Yeah. I I really love that bit. Yeah, definitely. Like the making of the man. Yeah. yeah. And we still get to see it, but we see it like Rocky Three, you know, mm. the, the montage at the start. Yeah. When they're like, we need to figure out how to take him from here. He's just won the world title. Yeah. To a point where he's a reigning legitimate world champion. So they're We've like... still got more to go. We'll do it yeah. in a montage and we get all the information we need from this montage that he's defended the belt 10 times and he's getting a bit civilized yeah. and he's losing his edge. And then you see him constructing the round table at the end. You're yeah. Like, yes! <laughs> that is um, a good yeah. It's a shame they won't make another one. Uh, yeah, I'd love a see just like a story with him playing Arthur. They were going to make buttons. They were going to make like multiple sequels yeah. and tell the whole legend. I'd love it. But it just didn't do well enough. It's a shame. Uh, my pick of the week, I'm a bit torn. There's two that I would potentially go for. I'm going to go for the King of Staten Island. Right. Uh, only because whilst I really enjoyed Call of the Wild yeah. as well, I probably enjoyed Call of the Wild more. Mm-hmm. As a pure movie, I just think that Staten King of Staten Island's a worthwhile watch for sort of young people. Yeah, you know whether it be twenty to thirty-five or whatever. Yeah. It's an interesting watch. It sort of paints a uh, an intriguing picture of this guy and as he's growing up and finding who he is. Because that's the story, Will. As they say, there's only one story in the world. <laughs> so who am I? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I will try and watch it. As we said, legally. Of course, we um, always legally is the best way to enjoy everything. Yeah, I, uh, the roads. Well, <laughs> yeah, we can't. Was it MGE traffic? MGA. MGA. Don't want to, you know, oh, mate. Don't want to annoy them and have your them safety to... is their number one priority. Always, <laughs> always. Our great friends. They are our great, great friends, friends at MGA traffic, as well as Vanity Fair, um, <laughs> who described Guru and Takashi's six, six nine. But um, yeah, so. There are two picks for the week. Done, excellent. Well, Will will give me his list. I've got my list, and we're gonna. I've, I've got to. I've got to figure out what that graphic looks like now. Uh huh. That's always a nightmare. And f- fun fact for those that really care um, about my Twitter handle, 
Yes. There was a little uh, edit during the week after the debacle that was my former um, former uh, username. Yes. It's now from PillyW26 has now been changed to Willie P with two L's, two Y's, two P's <laughs> and two E's, which is <laughs> now my socials on uh I think I'm going to change my Instagram as well. It is my PlayStation username if anyone wants to play a game yes. with me. What are you playing this week? Um, Still Warzone? To be honest, just more Warzone. Yep. The new season started. So I'll aim to play that at some point um, by myself. Yep. It's the best know, way to enjoy things. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that was my momentous occasion for the week. Excellent. My so Willie. Willie P. Two L's, two Y's, two P's, two E's. <laughs> It's easy enough to remember once you're told. Exactly. Uh, You can find me at Sean Peter Budge, all one word, on Twitter. Um, Like I said, we'll publish our lists in full. um, And once we do that, we naturally encourage people to tell us their lists or to keep track of their lists if you are listening to this. Um, It's always, it's sort of interesting when you go back, particularly if you've got a few of them under your belts and you can watch trends Mm, that emerge. Definitely. And how you get from movie A to movie B to a CD or a soundtrack or, Mm -hmm. or the like. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, to us this week for our second episode. We hope to catch you again next week. For me, Sean Peter Bunch, goodbye. For Will. Bye. Bye.